getting ready for the big hurricane. And you know what? They have been blasted by winds and by rain and by storms. And many of those homes on the East Coast that were not built on a firm foundation have not stood. They have fallen. They have collapsed. And spiritually, I am seeing families and homes hit by the storms of this life and they too are crumbling and falling because they are not built on the solid foundation of Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, later on in the chapter, he's going to talk specifically to wives and husbands and parents and kids. But right now he's talking in general to families and you know what, this could also apply to the family of faith, the church. Uh, last week we looked at verses 1 through 4, and specifically in verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us that we are to set both our hearts and our minds on things above. That is, our hearts and our heads should belong to heaven. We should not be consumed with fleshly, earthly things. We need to be consumed with Jesus. Our focus in life and in our family should be on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it all begins when we set our hearts and our heads on things above. And then he just kind of bears down in verse 5. So you're ready for verse 5? That's where we're going to be. I told the first service, you know, I, I really don't know what it is I do up here on Sunday morning. Sometimes I try to preach. Sometimes I try to teach. Uh, today I, I hope to do more teaching than preaching, but this is going to get a little preachy too, all right? But some good instruction, so I want to teach you from the Word of God today how you can build your life and your family on the solid rock, which is the Word of God. He says in verse 5, put to death. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look to you, our God, our Father, our creator, dear Lord, that you would consume both our minds and our hearts Help us to receive the instruction from your word this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that we would apply it to our lives and we would leave, leave here changed people living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask all of this in his name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, reality TV is just a part of life now, isn't it? They, is it? They have a reality TV show about almost everything. I can remember when these first started coming out and the very first home makeovers show started. It started with extreme makeovers, the home edition. 
And in that show, they would, they would go into someone's house and they would make the home over again. Sometimes they would level the house and build a brand new house from the foundation up. But they would at least renovate a house. And from that, you've got all these spinoffs where people are, are buying old homes and renovating them and flipping them. And then you've got over on the East Coast thousands of homes that are about to be renovated and done over. How many of you have ever been brave enough to do that to your own home? To do a home makeover? Raise your hand if you have. All right? Everybody's going, why are you going like that? Did, oh, you haven't finished yet. All right? It's a project that never ends, right? Angie and I bought our home in 1997 when we, when we first moved here. And, and we would paint a wall or two, but, but literally, I mean, it, it had been about 18, 19 years, and, and we were in need of a, of a home makeover. And so finally, we just bit, bit the bullet and decided we're going to do this. And it all started, we're, we're going to put in new carpet. You can't just put in new carpet, can you? I mean, one thing leads to another. When you give a mouse a cookie, that is... That is a book, and it's so true. You just have to keep doing things. And before long, guess what? All of the furniture was in the garage, and we were sleeping on the floor. And it went on and on and on. It was an extreme home makeover. But you know what? In all actuality, an extreme home makeover starts with an extreme human makeover. And human makeover can only happen through the power of Jesus Christ. So if you want your home on the solid rock, the firm foundation, and you need a makeover, well, guess what? It starts with you. It starts with the human makeover. Because technically speaking, there are no marriage problems. The problem is not with your marriage the problem is with the people who are married. Now, you don't need me to repeat that, do you? Technically, there are no family problems. The problem is not with the family. The problems are with the people who are in the family. Exactly right. Now, back to these home makeovers. They spend the entire show showing you from beginning to end and all of the work that is involved in flipping this house or making this house over. And it, it really is hard work. And at the end of the show, they have what is called the reveal. Exactly. Where they show the house redone. And all the viewers witness the unbelievable transformation that has taken place in that house. Well, I've got good news for you, church. Our reveal is coming. Okay? Spiritually speaking, for our homes and our lives and our families, the big reveal is coming. We're not quite there yet. God is still working. Huh? But the reveal is coming. And God is up to some great things in many of our families. But here's what it looks like right now. In the process while we're down on this earth transforming our lives through the power of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's hard work. Now, if, if you're going to redo your own home, it's hard work. Even if you hire a bunch of the work out, it's still hard work. Come on, man. Help me out here. It's difficult work. You know what? If it were easy, everybody would be flipping houses. 
It is very hard work. And the same thing is true with us spiritually. It is hard work. There are very deliberate actions that have to be taken on our part. And you see this process referred to right down through these verses. And Paul is very graphic in his terminology. Look how this segment begins in verse number 5. He says, put to death. Say that out loud with me. Put to death. Well, that's pretty rash, isn't it? Put it to death. What in the world is he talking about? Well, when we come to Jesus Christ, our old life was put to death with Christ on the cross. This means that sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies. Our lives belong to him. But you know what? We still live in a fallen world. Even though Jesus has regenerated us and changed us, we live in a fallen world, a sin-filled world, where there is constant temptation and sin all around us. It, it, it is, and you know what? Every once in a while, those temptations and those sins will rear their ugly head in our lives. And that's going to happen until we die. That is going to continue until we leave planet earth. But here we are taught what to do when sin rears its ugly head in our life. Paul says it emphatically in verse 5. You put it to death. When sin tries to take over your life, you put it to death. And then he goes on and says in verse number 8. Now you must rid yourselves of all of these things. The New King James translation says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. So we put these things off. We rid ourselves of these things. And the picture that Paul is drawing for us here is that of taking off a dirty, soiled garment like a coat or a jacket and putting it aside. We take off the old, dirty thing. We rid ourselves of this sin, this filth, this dirt. We take it off and we lay it aside. I told the first service people, every time I read this passage, it graphically comes into my mind through an illustration of when Angie and I first got married. All right, A long time ago, back in 1983. Uh, I, I took her to Enid, Oklahoma, and I became the youth pastor of the Free Will Baptist Church there, and uh, had all these kids in my youth group, and, and uh, Nathan, you know, we talked about this first service, you want to connect with your kids, man, you, you want to find commonality with the kids that you're ministering and serving to, and I had a... I, I wouldn't say it's a huge group of kids, but there were several kids in my youth group who rode dirt bikes, motocross bikes, really, I guess there's only three of them, I, there weren't, there, there weren't a whole lot of them, but you know what? I saw that as a key ministry opportunity. And so I, I convinced my dear wife that in order to do effective ministry in Enid, I too needed a dirt bike. My, I'd grown up riding mini bikes and dirt bikes, and so I, I found a good deal on a Kawasaki KDX 175, and, uh, and we invested in it for ministry's sake, all right? Here's my point. I could tell you all kinds of funny stories about this, but my point is uh, one Saturday I went riding with these kids and, and some men of our church, and we were gone all day. We went to this motocross track, <laughs> which was another funny story. Y'all got time for this? 
we get, we get there. We're the, we're the first ones there, and we unload our, our, all our motorcycles, and, and we're, we're, we're going around this track. There's these big hills that you're supposed to jump over, and, man, we're tearing it up. We're think, we think we're bad. That's what we think. And a little bit, here comes a, another group of guys in. They had trailers. They had, they had these containers with all their equipment, and they started putting all this equipment on. And so we just kind of parked our bikes and watched them, and, and we figured that they they really were bad. I mean, they were the real deal. First thing we noticed is they were going around the track a different way than what we'd been going around the track. <laughs> and, and instead of going over little mounds one at a time, they would hit the first one and fly over the other two, you know? So we, we were putting our place real quick. But anyway, long day of, of riding motorcycles. It was muddy. I came back home parked my truck, and I didn't try to go into the, the front door. We lived in this little house that the church owned. They let us live there. But it was Miss Angie's palace. It was our first home, and she kept it spotless. And so I, I went around the backyard, and I was, I was coming up the steps to go. I was going to go in the laundry room and, and peel off my muddy clothes, and I was, I was caked on mud from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Guess who was standing at the back door waiting on me? She said, where do you think you're going? And I said, get Miss Gill. I said, well, I'm going, I'm going to go in there and peel these clothes off and take me a shower. You're not walking in this house, she says. And I said, well, baby, what do you want me to do? do you, I can't strip down out here in the backyard. I'm a youth pastor. She said, I'll take care of it. You stand right over there under that tree. And Jason, she got the water hose. And for 30 minutes, she peeled the flesh off of my body until all of that caked on mud was gone and then I was allowed to step one step in the laundry room take the clothes off and put them in the washer that's what Paul is saying you take that filthy dirty garment off you rid yourself of it when a new believer was baptized, they would take them to the water, either a, a stream or a lake, and before they were presented with a brand new white robe by the church. You know, there's another word for what Paul is describing here that we use in church. It's the word repentance. We repent of our sins. We turn our back from that sinful life. God created us for purity and holiness. He cleanses us from our old way of life. We're new creatures. We're born again. The old is gone. We are the new in Jesus Christ. But again, i got to remind you, we still live in a fallen world. We're still tempted every day. It, it rears its ugly head in our life. And it's, all, it's like this. Every day of my life, it's as if Satan comes back to us with that old coat. And he says to me, Will, put this old jacket back on. I mean, it's a good looking jacket, dude. Remember all the fun you used to have when you would wear my coat? It's styling. You look fresh in it, my man. Put it back on. 
Paul says, no, when the devil comes and tries to get you to put that old life back on, you say no. So here's the question. Does the Christian life, this new life that we have in Jesus Christ, really affect the way I live my life on a daily basis? Does it affect the way that I treat others in relationships? Does it affect the kind of husband or mother or father or wife or parent or child that I am? Does it affect my thought life? Does it affect my attitude about money? If I'm single, does it affect my dating life? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. No doubt about it. This new life God gives us in Christ has the goal of purity or holiness, if you will. It's not a matter of just tacking on a little bit of Jesus to the end of your life. You know what? That's the way a lot of people want to live life. They want to do their own thing, go their own way, and then just have a little bit of Jesus on the side. Show up at church once a month. Give every once in a while. Do things the way you want to and just have a little bit of Jesus. But you know what? God is not about that. Not at all. There is deep spiritual change that God requires in your life and that God is after for those who come to Him. So let's just look at it here. Let's dig into this. Two points. Number one is, here is what we are to take off. Here is what we are to lay aside. And the catalog here is pretty descriptive. It's, it's pretty long. So all I'm going to do is mention these things, say a few words about them, and read the list. The first thing on the list that we are to put to death and lay aside is sexual immorality. The word that is used here, in some translations, it's the word fornication. But the Greek word is from where we get our English word pornography from. It's a general word that encompasses all aspects of sexual sin. Immoral thoughts, looking lustfully on another person, physical sexual activity, all kinds of sex outside of the marriage, committing adultery as a married person or with a married person, all kinds of, of, of despicable sex, homosexuality, and, and other things. All of that is included in this phrase, sexual immorality. And you know what you are to do with sexual immorality? Kill it. Put it to death. Don't let it rear its ugly head in your life. Now, let me just back up and say this. God created sex. And it is an awesome thing, a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. But God gave parameters to this gift. It is for a husband and wife to be enjoyed in their own home, in their own marriage, and with no one else. Right. Only. Only. One man, one woman. <laughs> These days you've got to specify that. Man, woman, together in their home. Anything else. That means anything you view, anything you watch, anything you listen to, anything you harbor in your heart that is outside of that marriage covenant is sexual immorality. And it's wrong. It will destroy your life and it will destroy your home. So you put it to death. The list goes on. 
Number two is impurity. King James uses the word uncleanness. The word actually means impurity. It means filthiness. And, And to me, this seems to refer to the underlying thoughts or the intentions that lead to other things like sexual immorality. Think of it as a spiritual infection in your life that leads to these horrible symptoms. It's what's behind sexual immorality. So impurity, put it to death. Number three, lust. The word is pathos. It means passion. Apparently it's not Elizabeth Taylor's passion perfume, all right? It's the thing that grows inside of us that is of a sinful nature. These passions burn inside of us and they cause us to act upon sin. What do we do with lust? We put it to death. Number four, evil desires. It's a word that has a similar meaning to lust. It describes those powerful, uncontrolled, and unrelenting urges that arise in our human soul. It's a burning desire to do and to have. It's evil. Put it away. Number five is greed. Greed is the uncontrollable desire to have more. And particularly when that more is inconsistent with God's word or it's against God's word or even wanting too much of a good thing. The King James calls it covetousness. A greedy, covetous person is never satisfied with what they have and generally envious of what other people have. But you know what? That's what our, that's what our world spins around. The commercials on television and in magazines try to convince us that our lives are simply not bearable if we don't have this or if we don't have that. And the Bible connects this greed with idolatry. That's what it says, greed, which leads to idolatry. That is, we come to a place in our own life where our possessions assume the place of God in our life. That is, we worship, we sacrifice, we thirst after, not the God who created us, but the things of this world. And what is Paul saying here? Well, the Bible says we are to put these things, these fleshly desires, to death. We are to put them off, and we are to knock them in the head. Now, the question is, why are we to deal this way with the old self? I mean, why, why such strong verbiage? Why would Paul say, put to death these things? He gives us two reasons. The first one is found in verse number six. He says, because of these things, those things that he just listed, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greeds, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, guys, if you you don't think I've been serious up to this point, notice the seriousness of my face right now. This is serious stuff. The wrath of God is coming. He is going to destroy this world. Why? Because of these things. And those who commit these sins, those who live in this way, will be eternally separated from God, spend eternity in hellfire. Bible tells us elsewhere, those who do these things will not enter into heaven. 
So why should you put these things off? Why should you knock them in the head? Why should you put them to death? Because God's wrath is coming on these things and coming on you if you do them. Second reason, verse 7, it's because you used to walk in these ways. It's the way you used to live. Used to. You used to walk in these ways. These are the activities of the old lifestyle. But since you have come to Christ, they should not be in your present lifestyle. So here's a pretty good question to ask. Is your life all that different from the lives of your non-Christian friends and family members? And let me tell you, if if your life is not any different than theirs, we, we need to have this talk even more seriously. Now, maybe, though, you're here and you're feeling pretty good. You're going, you're going like this. Don't worry, preacher. I got that under control. I don't, I don't deal with the sexual immorality thing anymore. Got, got the greed under control. It's, it's all good. It's all in check. Let me tell you, that's just the first wave. It's like that hurricane. Waves keep coming. There is another wave of conviction that the Holy Spirit is blowing our way. This list of manifestation, the roots and the fruits of the old self, continues. Paul moves to sins that destroy relationships. These are ugly little monsters that rise up behind the doors of our homes and our offices and our neighborhoods and even in our churches. Now, make no mistake about it. Sexual immorality and greed destroys lives and families. But so does this next little list. And again, I'll go quickly. So does anger. Verse number 8. The the word means a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. It's the settled attitude of a person who has an angry heart. And and this slow-moving anger is nursed along and protected so it doesn't go away. You you don't deal with your anger and dispose of your anger. You kind of keep your anger around because you know what? You kind of like to get angry. Let's be honest, don't you? And so instead of putting it to death, you hide it in a closet in your heart and sometimes you let it out. James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Same word that Paul uses in Colossians 3.8. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So you got to deal with your anger. Number two, he uses the word rage. King James uses the word wrath. The word here has the connotation of heat. It's more of a fiery explosion. There is this sudden outburst of anger, such as a temper. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, they flew off in a rage. Has it been said of you? Kind of reminds me of uh, Mount St. Helens, that volcano that erupted several years ago. You, you've seen pictures of, of the volcano. It, re- it literally blew the top off the mountain. 
I mean, you see pictures before of Mount St. Helens. It's got a peak with a point on it. You see pictures after the volcano, and it's flat. It, it literally blew the top off of it. It changed the shape of the entire mountain with that huge explosion. You know what? I see the same thing happening to a lot of people. They go into a rage, and they blow their top off. I can't tell you how many wives have said to me, Pastor, I just don't know what to do about my husband. I need your help. I need you to pray. Out in public, he's an outstanding citizen, nice to everybody. But when he gets home, let me tell you, he can explode in a rage towards me and the kids. Now, I've had a lot of women say that. I've only had one man say that about it. <laughs> it goes both ways, man. You know? And can I tell you something? That destroys a home. When you allow anger to be harbored in your heart and then you blow up in a rage. The third word that he uses is malice. It, it means to have ill will towards someone else. In fact, it is an attitude that wants to hurt other people. I mean, you so dislike this person, you're so mad at them and angry at them, and you blow up in such a rage that you have this malice towards them. You want to do them physical harm. And again, we're talking about homes and families. Dude, it's happening, it's happening right now in our city somewhere in some home where physical harm is taking place because people have not dealt with these sinful emotions. Number four is slander. The word is, is, is the word from which we get our word blaspheme from. It has to do with insults and belittling remarks that we make to other people. So sometimes, you know, it's done in a teasing kind of way. When we cut people down... We belittle them. But really, is, is there any teasing to that? Slander is what happens when the heated metal of anger and rage and malice are forged together into the poisonous arrows of the tongue. And, and not only does it, it hurt me and bother me when people do this, when they slander someone else, when they speak ill of someone else. But what irritates me even more is the people that listen to it. Amen. People love this kind of stuff. They, they feed on it. Amen? Yeah. Or oh me. I, I tell the staff all the time, here's the way you deal with that. If people come and want to slander another staff member or a church member, here's what you say to them. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about your feelings toward this person, and I believe the best thing for you is to go and tell them how you feel. In fact, I'm going to call them as soon as we finish this conversation and let them know exactly how you feel about them and let them know they're going to come talk to you about it. You know what that'll do? Nip it in the bud. Right there. Number five, y'all are... Not liking this at all, are you? Number five, filthy language. Filthy language. This is obscene or derogatory speech which is intended to hurt other people. One translation reads, fouled mouth abuse. What is filthy language? It's cussing. That's what we called it in West Texas. 
filthy, like cussing. And it's usually towards another person. You're cussing them out. It's what we used to say. Let me tell you. A cussing mouth and a praying knee don't fit on the same body. And again, I'm talking about things that irritate me. It really irritates me to be around a person and hear them use filthy words and profanity. And then when they find out that I'm a preacher, well, well, bless God, I'm a deacon at the... I, I, I was around a guy yesterday. He's given me his testimony before and talks about going to his church and doing things with his pastor. Yesterday, I heard a string of words come out of his mouth that I haven't heard since I was probably 18 years old. He was cussing like a sailor, man. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, don't you realize those things don't go together? And I'm going to just be frank with you. If you're a believer, if you say you're a Christian, watch what comes out of your mouth. Don't use filthy language. And until you can get a grip on it and stop doing it, please don't tell anybody you come to Kavanaugh Church. <laughs> you know, generally you would laugh at stuff like that, but it's, it's serious stuff, is it not? Last one is lying. Verse number nine, do not lie to each other. Did, did you know that lying is the ultimate assault on a relationship? Why? Because it destroys trust, which is the basis to any relationship. And when you start lying to each other in a home, it is destroying the foundation on which that home should be built. And besides all of that, it's a characteristic of Satan. Listen to this verse, John 8, talking about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. So, I mean, if you, you just put this down on paper to deduce it, it goes like this. If you are lying, it means that your father is the father of lies. You're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. You know what? When you put all these words together, you know what you get? A really ugly picture. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. That is an ugly picture. And let me tell you, if you have not dealt with these characteristics and tendencies of sin in your own life, they will destroy your life and your family. I can guarantee you that. If you bring this junk into your house, you're destroying your own home. That's why every day we need to put to death the old self. We throw it off like a dirty coat. We do every day. You got to deal with this every day. But you know what? It's not enough just to take the dirty coat off you got to put something back on. Okay, you're only, you're only treating half of the problem if you take the dirty coat off. Why? Because you need a new coat on. You need a clean coat on. And very quickly, I want to give you that. That's the stuff you put on. Verse 12, real quick. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. The first thing we put on is compassion. 
Rather than having a seething anger inside of us towards someone, we are to have compassion for them. We are to care for them. We are to have a concern from them that comes from deep inside. This is the deepest and tenderest feelings of mercy and grace that we can have towards someone else. And you might say, well, you know what, preacher? I don't feel that way towards that person. Here's what you do. You pray for them. You pray for them. You pray for them until you feel for them as God feels for them, and then you will have compassion on them. Number two, kindness. This is simple courtesy and goodness towards another person. And, And you know what? It all begins in the home. You need to be kind to each other. So dudes, guys, let me tell you, that means you open the door for her. You're just nice. You're kind. You compliment. You don't tear down. You build up. Does it feel like I'm tearing you down this morning? Well, let me build you up with kindness. You can do this. Because you're a child of God. God's love is in you. He's given you His kindness. So you just give that away. Number three is humility. That's the opposite of self-exaltation and arrogance. You know, you know how you become humble? You serve other people. You serve them. How many of y'all been to Tacos for Life, our new Tacos for Life restaurant in town? Have you raised your hand high if you've been to Tacos for Life? Great place to eat. Christian-ran organization. You can't go there today. You know why? They're closed on Sunday. Don Smith, who attends our church, was at first service manages Tacos for Life. He is the store manager. He's got over 100 employees that work at Tacos for Life. I've been in there several times to eat, and every time I'm in there, guess who brings me my food to my table on a tray? It's not one of those 100 workers that are paid whatever they're paid, minimum wage or whatever. It's Don Smith, and he's not just doing it to me because I'm his pastor. He's doing it to every customer in the store. The manager is serving. I told him the other night when I was in there and he brought our food. I said, Don, this is awesome. I mean, this this is, this, I said, Don, this is a sermon illustration. (laughs) The manager serving tables. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Jesus, my Lord and Savior, God's only begotten Son, who got down on his knees And with a towel and basin, he washed his disciples' feet. That was a lesson in humility. So you know what this means for us? Husbands, wives, moms, dads, kids, family members. If you want your home to be made over and a successful home, you need to learn humility. You do that by serving one another. Number four, gentleness. The word means strength under control. You need to learn how to be gentle. Now, some of you, if you're a manly man in here, bow your chest for me. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to pop that button right there. Bow your chest. Man, you know what? Men need to be manly. It's the way God made us. A man's a man. He needs to be manly. Women are women. Women need to be women. Men need to be men. (laughs) Duh. 
But here's the way us guys think. Gentle. <laughs> I'm, I'm a man. I can't be gentle. I'm, mm, I'm a man. You don't understand what this word means. In Paul's day, the word gentle referred to a powerful horse whose strength had been harnessed for the good of someone else. So dude, you can be gentle. Take all that manliness that you have and use it to serve your family. Then he ends with patience. This is suffering long. In fact, some translations use the word long-suffering. You suffer long in the face of insult and injury. You don't explode. You don't retaliate. You're patient with people. Why? Because God is still working. And you become patient. It's a process. Look at verse 10 as I close. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. You know what that means? That means God ain't finished with us yet. The reveal hasn't taken place. The work is still in progress. So, two things real quick. Number one, be patient on yourself. Be patient with yourself. Do you ever wonder, man, why, why do I struggle with that? Why, why do I struggle with getting angry or blowing up in a rage? Why, why do I struggle with not wanting to be a servant? Why do I struggle with that? Anybody out there? I mean, there was a time in my youthful arrogance when I thought, you know what, Will, once you've, once you've done this for 20, 30, 40 years, once you've been a preacher for all that long, you will have mastered all of these things. I, 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 was, so, I was so messed up. I, I, I thought, you know, I'll get to a point where I don't even have to study to preach. I can just get up and preach. I, got, I thought to myself, you know what, temptations will no longer bother me. I will come to a place of spiritual hierarchy in my life where temptations can't even touch my toes. I'm running out of time for that to happen. It, it ain't happened yet, and it's not going to happen. Why? I still live in a sinful world, and Satan has his dark gun pointed at my heart, and he fires it a hundred times a day at me. And you know what? I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying it's okay for you to fall and for you to stumble and for you to mess up. I'm not saying it's okay for that to happen. Because you need to be doing everything you can to keep that from happening. But here is reality in a fallen world. There will be times in which we do trip or stumble and think something we shouldn't think or say something that we shouldn't say or God forbid even do something that we shouldn't do. But when that happens, you don't stay down in the mud and the mire and wiggle around in it. You get up and get out of it. You clean yourself off, pull your britches up, and you go on. So be patient with yourself. Maybe you need to do that this morning here at the altars to, to come and ask for God's help in taking off the old and putting on the new. But not only do you need to be patient with yourself, you need to be patient with other people. Because they're just like you. Just like you mess up, they mess up. Just like you're not perfect, they're not perfect. 
And if I'm going to make my home what it ought to be, I've got to realize it is just made up of imperfect people who are doing the best they can to live for Jesus. And I've got to be patient with them because I know they are patient with me. Hmm? You know what? That even floats into the church, buddy. We need to learn how to be patient with each other, love each other, and pray for each other. So you know what all this means? It means that everybody in this room today literally needs to be down here praying for yourself, number one, because it's a struggle. And we need to ask for God's help in taking off the old and putting on the new. And secondly, everyone in here needs to be down at the altar today praying for their homes and their families. Because without this, our families will crumble. And it all begins when we set our hearts and our minds on Jesus. Lord, help us to do that right now. I pray that uh, as we have this invitation and open up these altars for people to come and pray, that they would do that, that we would just come and pray Pray for our own lives, pray for our families, pray for one another. Dear Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to be saved, I pray that they would come and invite Jesus into their heart. May there be healing that takes place in our homes today. May may families come to the altar together and pray together. Lord, do something amazing as you always do.